Istanbul 74 presents How Can We All Make It Into the Future? 74 podcast series. On the podcast, we discuss the global pandemic we're currently facing and how it'll reshape our reality and society with opinion leaders and creative minds from all over the world. Let's explore together what the future might bring for us. Welcome to 74 Podcast. My name is Timothy Varekia, and I run a consulting firm whose job it is to bridge the gap between the private sector and the public sphere using culture, education, and social responsibility as means to better systems. Today, I'm joined by Lou Doyon to talk about the role of artists in drawing a new world. Lou is one of my favorite people in the world because I think that she's an incredibly talented artist, but she's also, first and foremost, just a wonderful human being who I feel has a sense for what it means to remain sane in today's world. So um, I very much enjoy, you know, checking in with Lou every now and then and uh, getting her thoughts on where we're heading as individuals and a collective body of humans. We're now in Paris in her beautiful home in the countryside of inside Paris uh, near um, Bastille. And uh, Lou and I have been talking about, in the context of everything that's happening, what is the purpose and what's the function almost of artists in today's world, in today's madness? Um, you know, I know that Lou probably has a very strong feeling about uh, what the artists should be doing and uh, ought to be doing in order to help us make sense of everything that's happening. I think what's complicated is that anyway, in the world of today, we keep on making great groups of people. And I'm not sure that that holds in the sense that we're systematically confronted by individuals versus a group of, I see with all the stories about women in the last couple of years, I find it very complicated to say women, you know, and you think, no, there's millions of type of singularities and, and, and men the same. We've seldom asked men actually to all stand behind the flag of men and we often ask women to stand behind the flag of women and I don't really know what that flag is. Uh, for artists I would say the same thing. I think some have the capacity to survive in the world and some other artists can only do what they can do and or what they have to do without being part of this world because I think it's it's a very complicated and dangerous world out there in the sense that there's a lack of questioning. I know that I've, I've been very obsessed by doubt, and I think that doubt has completely disappeared from politics and nuance, from television, from, for sure it has to do with mediums. I think that the Twitter medium completely fucked us up. These formats, yeah. yeah. And the idea that, you know, anyone could say in two sentences anything about anything seems completely mad. And I mean, let's just open any book of philosophy if after spending 50 years of your life working on thinking, they all come to the same ground of saying, one way or another, we don't know anything about anything. And you think, wow, how presumptuous to have people all day long who have not spent their life thinking after, about yeah, thinking. After saying, thinking about it for a lifetime. Yeah, saying, oh, I know what this is or it isn't. So for me, I guess that I love the idea that I could try to stand behind the banner of doubts and nuance and ambiguity, which I find very important. And also behind the idea that I think that we've taken a strange toll, which is that either people have a very strong opinion, which tends to be quite father-like, 
or cop-like of saying, this is what you should be thinking. And on the other side, a, a quite childish side of being so tired of having people telling you what to do that there's this kind of teenage thing of going, you know, there is a ground in the middle of this, I hope, mm. um, a thin line in the middle of it, but where you think, well, actually, there's a lack of responsibility from people in general that I find is for sure related with the sadness. And as an artist, it's true that I keep on thinking of how we misunderstood people have the power uh, of dear Patsy Smith for the last 20 years. People have the power to be responsible. And that's the bit that's missing in that sentence is that people need to understand that we have the great power of literally being creating the world that's around us. And for example, I see it with um, numbers that came out a couple of days ago about the fortune made by Jeff Bezos and, and Facebook and all of that during confinement. Numbers that I, I didn't go to school long enough to be able to say those numbers. I, I can't even say, I don't know what it is. And, and I thought, no, I'm not gonna post it because we made that fortune. We are the ones who spent six months communicating. And what's interesting is that I don't think the desire of communication is the problem. I think it's quite beautiful that we all wanted to stay connected. Now it's maybe us to think of new ways and to think of, of, yeah, of new ways of participating in life. And the same for music, when you see how the economy has completely eaten up the music industry. And we live in a strange paradox where people have never listened to music as much as today. And at the same time, there's never been such a lack of respect for musicians and the desire that it should be free, which is absolutely mm. insane when you think of it. Um, and you think, well, hang on a minute. People need to understand that, that you create the world that's around you. And that's what I keep on telling my son, saying politics are everywhere. You finance anything that you're gonna buy, that you have to know that you're literally a shareholder of a chain of sadness. That's it. If none of us go there, things will change. Then mm. the world in 10 years would change, in two years would change. Mm. What's strange is the fact that we keep on being angry and at the same time wanting the hierarchy to change things when actually the hierarchy are very few people. The, the mass of power yeah. is in the hands of people. Right. That's, but that's us as citizens. And, Absolutely. And, and you as a public figure have other tools, other opportunities, other responsibilities, other burdens, of yeah. course, yeah. and other different types of pressure. And we've been talking about this notion that we feel we're almost at a tipping point where we need to choose between engaging more in the collective or going to, you know, bunkering ourselves, yeah. you know, and getting, you know, going back into living in the countryside yeah. or whatnot. So how do you foresee your creativity and your voice as being useful in rebuilding value systems and social systems or whatnot, you know, for lack of a better word, like you have your voice as a creative has more weight than that of a standard citizen. What's sad today is the fact that I think the place where I can do it the best is during a concert, because people are very, very paranoid at the idea that you're trying to give lessons one way or another. So nearly any medium, I know as an artist on my Instagram, I don't have Twitter because What's beautiful is that it actually really means what it means most of the time. And you think the word tweet, the idea of little birds chirping pisses me off. It's the same as buzz. I work in the music. I don't like a buzz. I spent my life on stage trying for 
you know, the bloody amp of the bass not to make a fucking buzz. So no, I'm not into buzzes and I'm not into chirping. I love birds singing, but that kind of like quite moving how it's actually said as it is. I like Instagram because it's the idea of a, of a bottle in the sea, I find. And, and on top of it, something very, it's just an image and you put it in a bottle, throw it in the sea. Some people like it, some people don't. Not sure it's the best medium either, but it's my way of communicating. And for the moment, I can only share what I love. I find it very complicated to tell people what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Even on voting in France, I'm very cautious. All I post is that I voted, that's it. I can't really tell people, you got to do this. I find it extremely complicated and, and so many people are doing it anyway. That, But what's great with the concert is that actually by sending love, literally in the first sense, by putting yourself in danger, by making actual live music without any form of protection whatsoever, there's an engagement, there's a risk, and there's also um, respect. Every concert I do is not the same because nothing is pre-recorded. I'm not in a costume. There isn't special lights to make me more, you know, more nice or, 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 or pretty when I'm not. Or, or I, if I dance, I don't like to have a choreography dance because I don't believe people should spend 10 euros to see a fake God mm. one way or another. Mm. I find it moving if people come and see that you embrace every fragility, that you embrace the fact that you have no idea where you're going, but you're going there. To be broken by love is maybe something beautiful, that it means that you are porous enough to still mm. accept mm. Um, all of it, that mm. all of it is extremely violent. I start my concert saying, you know, sorry, bad news, we're all gonna die. And people are horrified and you start laughing saying, but it's true. You're not feeling well because you keep on coming with t-shirts saying, I can't, I got unicorn. Unicorns don't fucking exist. Stop thinking you're all five years old. And no, we're all gonna die. And that's what's beautiful. Mm. This is the, the most fucked up adventure that is asked of humans as opposed to animals, I guess. We know how it's gonna end. It's a tragedy. And we're so beautiful to go for this tragedy that by just bringing that back, you can feel that after two hours, the most important messages were taken if they had to be taken or weren't. Mm. And that was the best way to actually get out of all of, you know, of the networks of these relationships. Right now, because of COVID, I think that's why loads of artists suddenly wondered how they could still keep an access to a certain type of freedom. The last place where people get together, mingle mm. and let go. But it seems to me, I mean, it seems to me like your concerts are uh, displays of emotions and humanism. And I guess that it also seems to me from, from knowing you over the years that those emotions, that humanism and that inspiration comes from life itself. Do you feel like over the last few months, you know, being confined and, you know, having these, the kind of constraints that we've all encountered um, are, how is that affecting your creativity and your, your, you know, your emotional life in a sense? Funnily enough, it wasn't a trauma, like for many artists, we have the conversation that we are actually used to being in self-isolation most of the time. And on top of it, the isolation was something, but it was the doubts of the future that I think is what affected people the most. And since I've been 14, I don't know what I'm doing in six months. So that didn't change at all. What changed was the fact that the whole world was suddenly wondering what they were going to do. And then I guess that I could feel because 
it's a sentence of Jacques Brel that I love that says, les artistes sont ceux qui ont mal aux autres. Artists are the ones who, who, who have the pain of others. Of yeah, there's something where you're porous. And so, funnily enough, I was unable to create anything during those three months. I was able to give. So mm. I did a podcast every day on Instagram, of reading poetry. Funny enough, I couldn't even delve into fiction. It was too much to bear. It felt like if I spent four months in a bus station, one eye wondering when the bus was coming and the other eye trying to reassure people saying, don't worry, the bus is coming. I know it's coming. And you think, oh, bluffing, bluffing, bluffing. And so I love that. It didn't feel right. Truthful. Truthful to dive in my feelings at a moment where the whole world didn't know what it was mm. feeling. And I had great conversations with Sophie Kahl, where I said, were you able to do anything? And she said, no, no, nothing at all. And I said, well, same here. It felt like we were all on the surface of the ocean and it would have been strange to suddenly leave humanity in a way to just dive in my own grotto and start looking at, oh, how do I feel about this? I thought, oh, no, that would be a poor taste right now. And actually just not even a poor taste, I just wasn't able. Mm -hmm. And right now it's slowly coming back, but it feels maybe because I'm a woman, I don't know, there's something I've always felt. And because of my name, which is a male wolf in French, I don't know, I've always felt that I can start getting to work when people fall asleep and are okay. Mm -hmm. So I spent four months just kind of on guard, reading poetry as one would read stories for children to just keep everyone at a level of maybe another option than just to talk about, I think, oh, let's do one hour of Prévert, of Apollinaire, of Anne Carson. Let's try to elevate ourselves. Right. But I guess it's a certain type of people who look to um, to support and guidance from, from artists and specifically people like you who, again, have, you know, I, of course, love your music, but as you know, I'm a huge fan of your drawings mm. and your illustrative work. Um, I think it's a certain kind of people who come for support from people like you. Yeah. In terms of the greater context, do you think that, again, artists are have a role to play in redefining the way we live as collectives? You know, because I think there's we're abandoning legacy politics, we're abandoning legacy media, we're abandoning legacy... Legacy in general. Legacy in general. But what's interesting with you specifically on legacy is that you, there is a very patrimonial side to mm. to your work because you're always referencing legacy culture in a sense um so i'm curious to know how you feel about people looking to you for guidance in how we you know we define the world of tomorrow the way we live tomorrow you know and i think it's always interesting in moments when people look to art and culture yeah. and artists yeah. for, for guidance actually i'm always quite baffled for myself And then in moments of acceptance, I guess that, yes, I can say about other artists that they saved my life. So I guess that it's, I know that when the confinement stopped, I kept on running into people who were so intense and serious about the fact that, that I was kind of the light bearer through their three months. Mm. And, and I was embarrassed sometimes because I, I hadn't even thought about it that much. And, and maybe the best is when you don't think too much, but, but for sure that it felt... It felt beautiful to have a responsibility in that moment. And I think that we do have one. Um, what's complicated is that everything's quite messy in a way. We, we've, we've broken every border, which could be a good thing, but there it becomes a messy thing where you can feel that, I don't know, sometimes I'm pissed off with my colleagues um, at the idea that 
I do believe that people are, take a certain pleasure today in a strange propaganda of commonness in the worst possible sense or way. I mean, I'm pissed off to see that very few artists talk about censor maybe themselves on, on things that moved them for real. And when I see loads of, of people who should be exceptional one way or another, try so desperately. And that's mainly because of cancel culture and, and these kinds of, you know. Maybe, the, but I think the, it's even more of yeah. this thing of, of pretending Ourself, to be close to right. people in the worst way possible because mm. people are so much more interesting. I mean, once again, like we at the first conversation, you know, there isn't a flag with people behind. I don't know what the fuck that means. And and I find when people say, oh, you know, you talk about the books you read and the music you listen and, you know, in a way like house snob. No, I'm not going to be ashamed because I read books. Everyone should read books. It's beautiful. It saves your life. It's the cheapest way to travel. It's the, it's the open door to empathy. You know, I've, I've been a rude man thanks to books. I've been a um, I've been a broken woman, I've been an astronaut, I've been, that's why books are perplexing and wonderful because it's a way in other people's heads and, and, and it's in a way of also accepting that we're not all the same and, and that would be very boring and today you can feel that artists are so frightened that they need you all say, well, you know, no, I don't read books, you know, it's I so love to stay at home and, and watch a really bad movie and, and go to bed and I'm like everyone, you think, who's that everyone? But on this note, one thing that you said to me a few years back, which really has stuck with me, is this notion that we we might be heading towards a new dark ages. Yeah. And and I think that relationship to culture as, you know, something that's detrimental to the collective is is really interesting. You know, is this something that you foresee as being threat to the future? For sure, because I'm I'm amazed by the fact that very slowly through many different different mediums, apps, whatever, um, we're forgetting nearly everything. And it's spooky where, you know, you see it with people, people forget even their way home. People forget how to read a map. People forget, we don't know any phone numbers of anyone. People forget how to write. People don't know how to write anymore. And and more than that, it's it's funny how we've lost relation to, to people. I love writing and it's good. it's a good example. When I was a little girl, we would receive letters and I didn't have to open the letter to know who it was. I remember the, the drawing, because writing is drawing. I remember the drawing of my grandmother's writing, of my grandfather's, of my father's. I realized last time that I had spent seven years with a, with a guy where I didn't know his handwriting. Half of my friends, I do not know their handwriting. And being someone who loves writing, it's like missing one third of a person. There's something really strange of thinking, because that's your way of, there's a pleasure in that. And when people say, oh, I love your handwriting. And you think, yeah, I spent 30 years, you know, working on that I, because I wasn't stabbed. And loads of people say, oh, I hate how I write. Well, keep on writing, find your own writing, find your way to draw, find your way to, to see the world, to perceive it. And it's true that we're losing our expression, strangely enough, at a strange time where people keep on talking about expression. And you think, but it's, it's leaving, it's leaving more and more. And, and we've lost, I mean, I was telling my son, I think we're not feeling well also today because we are in a world where nearly nothing of what we're doing will be transmittable. Mm -hmm. 
we can find clothes of the Egyptians. We can find pottery of, of, you know, of the Incas. What we're living today in 20 years will have disappeared. Right. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, I, I understand that. And I think memory is important. We've spoken yeah. about, we've spoken about genealogy. We've spoken about, you know, traditions, patrimony, all those things. I do find that there's something to be taken from the fact that we're learning to very much live in the present because our future seems to be the way we've built our futures and we've planned every single aspect of our futures and we've built futures for ourselves and our families seems to be jeopardized in some ways. I think that there's something to be said about the fact that we're learning to live in the present as well. In a way, COVID gave us this understanding, which for sure, nothing is safe. Exactly. Sure. And next week, we don't know, you know, where we'll be. I, for one, have been, you know, spending the last three months not knowing where I be sleeping or yeah. where I'll be visiting, you know, the next day. And that's something that I've never done in my life. And that's something that, you know, as far as your physical rapport mm-hmm. to the world and to time is something that we're learning also. Because again, I think the fact that our futures are jeopardized is taking giving us a different outlook to the new day. But I think that on that, in a way, I find that a beautiful thing. But I think it's not related in the sense that I think our grandfathers knew that i think it's just been two generations where suddenly we all thought we were immortal that everything was static yeah and that nothing would move but when you see people or you read people i mean when i was doing all the reading during the confinement i was amazed to see that whatever poetry book i was picking up it was either a war or just before a war or just after a war and in france until 1870 it's wars every 30 years so i mean every generation has never known their grandfather or father or brother. Massive I mean, disruptions so every generation. All the time. So actually, it's my mother's generation and mine, in a way, that for the first time had had, you know, 60 years thinking nothing's going to happen and we can plan in the future. But what's funny on the other side is the fact that what I find sad is the idea of transmission when suddenly I realized that nearly none of the clothes that I've been buying for the last 20 years will hold my son's children he won't be able to to give them any clothes I had. He won't be give, able to give them any device I've had. All of this will be thrown out. And you think, how strange. I think humans have the beauty of inscribing themselves in a story. And that's where that idea of the dark age comes in, is that this link that's been growing where we can, you know, you see it in cities. You see, I love the story of Paris. I love the story of France. I love that every step I take brings me back in the future. I can be in this machine, this time machine, which I love right. always be the generation that completely destroys that. Because, right. And then we'll be like hovering in space. But that's also the paradox of the digital age because we have the entire memory of what we've built over the last few hundred years Absolutely. at our fingertips. Yeah. You know, the great paradox is that this is all there for us, you know, all the films, all the the, the music, mm-hmm. the literature, the history yeah. is all at our fingertips for us to learn from and to, you know, to benefit from. And at the same time, there seems to be a sense of collective amnesia. Absolutely. Um, and it's true that I think anyway, that's why all of this internet thing, I mean, especially social networks are interesting. I think that we've completely stuck ourselves into something binary. 
we're in extremes right now. At everything yeah. seems extremely binary. You're you like or you don't like. And everything is dogmatic. It's insane. And you think, can we add a third little emoji or icon, which is like, don't like, or maybe. not interested, or maybe, or do whatever you want to do kind of thing. There's, and you can see it in everything. Sadly, in politics, I can see that there's no more discussion yeah. possible. Yeah. You know, you're either pro or you're against and is insane. What's fascinating to me too, is that even things that are of the really the, the, the level of intimacy and individuality, like, you know, we've spoken about, um, you know, gender or sexuality or whatnot, um, seems to be solved on a dogmatic level, on a community level. And, you know, I think that it's very strange that even things that seems to be the most unique and the most individual about each one of us seem to be solved in the public arena. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's very, very strange. I, th I do think that social media is contaminating For every sure. single aspect of our lives. And in that this way. weird idea of wanting absolutely to be individuals, which makes me laugh because we are anyway. So I don't see how we could obsess about over that because we are incredibly specific and incredibly common. And all my work is based on that. I'm obsessed by that. I find it absolutely amazing that we have, you know, 99% of what we are is exactly the same, exactly the same. How can we have spent a lifetime trying to say who's different from us? I find it insane. And now everything has become what it means about me. But it also strikes me as being an indication of this notion that we've lost a sense of pleasure. Not so much a sense of happiness, but much more a sense of pleasure, meaning things that make you feel good on a daily Everything basis. Everything is a statement. Our relationship to our senses, our relationship to nature, of course, our relationship to the arts, music, you know, sexuality, again, all those things which are about, you know, pleasure. I think that this notion that, again, pleasure was going to be material and was going to be physical things one way or another. I think that this, we're coming out of this cycle yeah. of hyper-consumerism yeah. where pleasure was in owning things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, it's interesting stuff. that you mentioned. This yeah, idea of stuff. Exactly. more stuff. And that stuff makes you feel yeah. good. And yeah. I think and we're about, stuffed. exactly, Literally. you are stuff. <laughs> But I think this this idea that we're, you know, there's this challenge to rediscover what pleasure, mm. simple pleasures in daily lives are, you know, and food is a great example of that, actually, you Absolutely. know, the way we relate to our senses and the way we're, we've become numb to our immediate senses. I mean, I get, as you know, I obsess with surfing and I find that surfing in the ocean as a source of just immediate pleasure and yeah. pleasure being the accumulation of pleasure leading to this certain notion of happiness and balance. Absolutely. But I think it's such simple things in one way, but we've become so numb to our immediate senses. And I think because we've suddenly decided that everything we do means something about us, which is true on one side. And on the other side, if you really start looking at it, I've, I've had the pleasure and the, the madness and the, I don't know, weird obsession of, of actually working with me for the last 38 years. So, so um, I've taken the time to think about, you know, what I do every day and most of it doesn't make any bloody sense I mean, and and that's why I'm amazed that, that I could you know and it's funny because because it's giving me a lot of importance in a way of you know who cares I have no power whatsoever to to affect you in your daily life for real the only power I have is if you open the door which is what an artist is I'm just doing my thing if you want to see it I'm 
super happy. And if it makes sense to you, it might even help me go to sleep at night to think that at least one person finds it remotely uh, relatable. But on the other side, I have no more power than that. And I find it very strange today that the people on whom we ask the most responsibility, funnily enough, are artists, when I don't think, I mean, it's a really prickly subject and it's a very complicated one, but I'm not sure that artists should be that responsible. I don't know what it really means, especially then in our daily life. Um, half of the time it's a bloody massacre. You know, I've been raised only by artists. They are the most selfish people on the planet and they self-destroy to an extent that's insane. So, you know, when I look at one of my cousins who was a punk rocker and who was doing his thing and who wrote the most beautiful poetry and who was wild as could be and who died in a car crash, he owned his life. I don't see how one could say, you're allowed to sing this or not allowed. You know, he, people are responsible for their own life in a way. And most artists burn. You know, one of my favorite poems is Edna St. Vincent Millay, who says, my candle burns on both ends. It will not last the night, but oh, my foes and ah, my friends, it gives a lovely light. That's it. For me, being an artist is exactly that. It gives a lovely light of someone consuming themselves. And that's all it is. Yeah, I love it. We've spoken about how we all have a certain kind of lifespan that is attributed, you know, out that is essentially tied to what we have to give to the world or, you know, either take or give to the world. Absolutely. And, and, and people are responsible. You know, the same as people who work in sports, we keep on putting them on front saying they're very healthy. No, most of them are destroying their bodies. I mean, you talk to dancers, you see footballers, you... It's a choice they made, and we see it today, but it's actually becoming problematic. I remember seeing a documentary in America on, uh, what is it, American football, or the ones where they keep on bashing. The concussions, right. Yeah, they keep on bashing each other. And, and you think, yeah, it's going to be a tough one, or like boxing, it's going to be a tough one to say that, no, you're not allowed to want to have your brain mushed up. You know, actually, we can't tolerate it anymore. You think, it's a bit the same thing. You know, they, them it's physical, you can see it, but artists are banging their heads against the wall one way or the other mm -hmm. and 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 they've chosen that and it's no fun for the entourage i can tell you that that's for sure you know mm -hmm. I, I, i've i've done the paradox i was raised by people like that i suffered from it a lot and i've done exactly the same thing behind so you think hey you know yeah but there's obviously a certain nobility to you know choosing or to being in a way in a in control of what you do with that life that's within you whether you decide to spend it as you know, a professional athlete or Absolutely. a performer Absolutely. or it concerns yourself or a writer for you, yeah. you know, in that sense, yeah. you know, so we've, um, we've spoken about how it's just about having a sense of control over yeah. what you do with that energy. That's why I'm quite happy when I often say, you know, that I'm not, my job isn't, isn't essential. And that's why it might be in the long run essential. The fact that we may need non-essential people. There's something where you know, I've been starting to wear clown outfits for the last couple of months because I wanted to remind people saying, you know, don't come at me like if I was a politician. I'm a bloody clown. That's what I do. I replay emotions. That's what I do. I'm a mask. Exactly like, you Le know, you are. yeah, in a kind of comedia dell'arte. They're masks. Mm -hmm. There's the mask of happiness, of sadness. And I'm there to, to um, replay, redo my, my struggles, my pain, whatever it is, because humans have a strange things where they like to delve in the feelings they're having and I know that when I'm sad I like to listen to sad music to be even more sad when I'm happy I like happy music to be even more happy we need mirrors that's all we're doing as artists 
yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Arlequina. That's it. And what's lovely, a strange word, but what's what's been interesting with this whole COVID thing is, is the fact that I think that it resembles the life that, that artists choose in the sense that most people have a life that makes sense. My life doesn't make any form of sense in the sense that when I write a song, what does that mean? I mean, already it's insane. I take a piece of wood on which, you know, there's chords that create a vibration and on that vibration, and they've been the same chords for the last 600 years, I make a pattern of vibration on which I put words and that can or not move people. What a strange job yeah. that is. It's, it's, it's close to a magician. Sometimes I write songs that I love that no one relates to. Sometimes I write songs that I really wonder what they're about and people completely relate. And none of this makes sense that I can, you know, I do a job where aging doesn't have to do with quality. Also, we see it with Chet Baker. He was for sure better at doing what he was doing at 30 than he was at 50. But so there's something beautiful that has to do with something very ancient and human, which is a job where you're sure of nothing everything's a bloody mystery it completely depends on things like weather and mood and 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 people's happiness or not or people show up or not if people come to see me at a concert most of the time it's down to did they find a parking place was there a nanny around i mean it's it's so insane that yeah. any of this could happen that any of it works within the chaos it's and that there's shared realities there are these moments of it's what i always you know feel like love stories are these moments of just shared realities where your connection to the world meets someone else's and and i think that you know in, in a way i guess your your concerts very much are that it's kind of moments of shared realities yeah. we all dance in the rain and that's it that's yeah. all it is and i could see that for all my friends where life is much more structured where they start a job and then for the next 30 years, they'll get better at it and paid more and they'll finish once they're on top of it and then they'll have a retraite. And I could see how shaken they were when all of this happened. And for sure that I think you could see that artists were quite used to the wind and, and we forget, that's why I love artist biographies. We completely forget that half mm. of people we think stayed on top all their life bullshit up and down and round it's and really the difference between and I, to your point i think the covid you know the, the current crisis is very interesting because it really creates this parity between people who've chosen to question the systems we live in the way we live and the world we live in and why we do things and really think about why we fall in love why we have children why we write songs why we build houses and do all the things that we do and this in the current crisis people who've been forced to question those things when they were never questioned. Yeah. And I think it really creates a divide between people who've had the, you know, either the privilege or sure. or the the energy or the ambition to question on their own and people who've been forced to be be thrown into questioning the way we live. Absolutely. And so I think there's a real distinction there. Absolutely. And you can feel that at the same time, the the capacity of adaptation is marvelous. I mean, I, it was beautiful to see, and that's where social networks helped us see it it was beautiful to see the level of creativity that suddenly arrived and i remember there was one video that it was this whole family that clearly had spent weeks to do this whole parcours with dominoes going from the first floor to the last floor the father was in it the kids were in it all of them had made this thing and i thought that's absolutely what this would have never happened if they weren't suddenly stuck one was the other thinking where we got Dominoes, a ping pong ball, sometime, two kids who are pretty smart, the stairs, a cat, 
we can do this. And I thought, this is wonderful. We we can we all have it. And a Wi-Fi connection. Exactly, exactly. We all have it. And and it's true that it was beautiful to see how much what we consider once again the frivolous um was what made people hold strong. I mean, if you had taken away music, films, books, I think they would have been murders in the street. You know, suddenly people were all dancing together, all connecting one way or another. And also in a, in a time where everyone thinks that we would rather be alone, what a wonderful proof that we all wanted to be together. Yeah, it was an obsession. We all need it. We all need to Physicality. be together. And yeah. even if it's virtual, well, Never mind. We picked what we could. We needed to see other people's faces and smiles. And I think that's why we're so depressed today. The masks thing, the real problem of the masks thing is the fact that we do not see each other's emotion. And I can see it. I've, I've nearly developed lines around my eyes because I'm trying so desperately to smile with my eyes. <laughs> and you try to send the message through because in fact that's all we are we're faces we love faces we need faces there's this wonderful english singer uh, called kate tempest who i adore and she's so i mean she's a poet she's, she's so beautiful and smart and and if you do not know her kate tempest read everything she's written and listen to her to kind of rap and it's and she says it people's faces i mean that's my i love nature but for sure that Contrarily to you on that, I, 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 would, I get pretty bored in front of a mountain. You put me on a marketplace and I am baffled just to see what we do, how confused we are, how sweet we are, the way you try to, how a lover tries to hold her hand and it misses out and his whole face goes completely, you can feel the blood shot in his yes. boots, he feels lonely and it, we, we, we all pulse on the same thing and and... I'm obsessed by humans. I'm in love with humans and especially our downsides. I find them much more thrilling than the heroic side. We're not that interested in, in our pettiness, our selfishness, our obsession about our everydayness. Yeah. Oh, I no, love it. No, I, I love it. The, the, the things people do without even realizing the way they take off their shoes, the way they, the toothbrushes touch or they don't, the way you know, they have two bathrooms or not. The way they cut their cake before eating it. Are you, a, you know, do you cut your hamburger or do you take it with both hands or do you take yeah. one slice of the bread away? I mean, it's, I could, that amazes me. And, and that's where people are individuals much more than in being behind a hashtag, I find, you know, it's, it's, uh, and all of those are connections. We, we so desperately want, need and thrive in being connected. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. What would be wonderful was if we were able to find options that didn't turn against us, I guess, you know, that that wouldn't make us surrender at one point and thinking, oh, it's just too much. I'm too tired. I haven't got the energy. We're a bit like children on that. You know, we, we kind of OD on stuff all the time. People OD on the Internet. They OD on sweets. Yeah, they we're, OD on... we're junkies. We're, exactly. we're specifically now we're a generation yeah, yeah. of junkie. And I think that Again, there might be hopefully an end to this cycle of hyper consumerism, that, hyper nothing. hysteria of, yeah. of communicating, hysteria of promoting ourselves. Because you grow numb. All these things. I see it all the time. You grow numb. We all had it with the COVID. I think the first three weeks I was watching the collective news burnout. all day. And then after a month, I could not deal with even watching a second of the news. And I thought, how oh, fucked up. You should have looked at the news 20 minutes every day and that's it. 
not two weeks skipping from BFM to CNN to where actually it was people spending 12 hours a day saying nothing because <laughs> no one knew what was going on to then shut down and not being interested whatsoever with humanity and I thought whoa come on work that muscle of, of because otherwise the numbness is where you're really lonely really yeah. really lonely well, this is to be continued as always. Uh, Just an ongoing conversation about, you know, as we say in French, refaire le monde. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I must catch my train. Thank you for joining me today.